Anne, could you give us a, a brief overview of your background in games as a writer and what kind of games you've worked on? Well, I started out in freelance and I ended up in freelance. So I started working on this small little game for a local developer in LA and it was for ZooVet, so something vaguely hospitals themed. And uh, from there I was hired as the head writer for a game based on the Stargate TV series. And I had been working in television, so that seemed like a good marriage of the two. That game didn't go forward, unfortunately, but ever since then, I've been focused primarily on working in games. And I've primarily worked as a freelancer, though I, do, I have worked on site in, in Amsterdam, in Bulgaria, on different projects. Okay, and uh, what first inspired you to study archaeology? And I was wondering, have you found it useful as well for writing, being a writer in games? Well, it's definitely come in handy. Mm -hmm. uh, the the yeah. first game I mentioned, Stargate Worlds, it, one of the characters is an archaeologist, if you know the, the IP. So having that degree was really helpful in getting that job. And most recently, I worked on Assassin's Creed Origins DLC called The Curse of the Pharaohs. Oh. <laughs> and that's set in ancient Thebes, or not that ancient, I guess, yeah, classical antiquity. And that was very helpful as well, because my focus was on ancient Egypt. My thesis was the economic aspects of ancient Egyptian settlements. And so I literally brought my thesis with me to work, and uh, it was fun going back and researching the time period, although the Ptolemaic era is not my favorite, uh, but it was, still, it was still great to learn about, about that era. And, and we also had pharaohs that were long dead from, from periods I am more excited about, so <laughs> that was good too. Um, and part of the reason why I got into that when I was study, you know, choosing what to study, I had vast interests, as I'm sure many of you do, and I had even considered working in AI because the degrees there were, were like, you have to learn philosophy and science and all this other stuff. And I'm like, that's great. I'm interested in all that stuff. But I ended up choosing archaeology because it was in the anthropology department. And anthropology is the study of man. So pretty much anything I took counted towards my major. So it was basically me uh, gaming the system uh, okay. so I could graduate early and go on my merry little way. That's why. Excellent. Okay. Um, can you explain what a normal day is like on a game production as a writer and the kind of at what point you're kind of hired to, to start working on, on a game? Well, it definitely varies about what, when I'm hired. So sometimes I'm brought in early on the project, which I'm, I'm supposed to encourage, bring in writers early. And that is definitely ideating the storyline, having discussions about how you're going to tell the story. There are some defaults everyone comes in with. For example, on Assassin's Creed, you know, there are going to be cutscenes, there are going to be missions. So there's, there's some of that, but sometimes you're working on a new game or, or with a new company and they're very open to how they might tell the story. And that's actually most exciting because then you can maybe do something different. Um, so that's what de generally goes on when you're, when you're brought in early. It's just sort of iterating on the story and how you're going to tell it. And then, of course, later in production, it's just sitting down every day and writing, 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 all day. There's this 
commercial in the uh, old commercial in the U.S. W for Dunkin' Donuts, and it was always this guy who got up early in the morning and go, "Time to make the donuts." So every every day, if when in production, I get up and I'm like, "Okay, time to make the donuts," because it's just sit down and write the whole day. What am I going to do tomorrow? Write the whole day. <laughs> so, but I like it. I, I like that period because you know what you're making is probably going to end up in the game. So. Okay. What, what kind of mental preparation do you, do you feel you have to do before you write a story? Um, do you, how do you deal with uh, writer's block if you have like, problems during a day? Yeah. Well, uh, the greatest incentive, of course, is, is the paycheck. <laughs> so knowing mm. that uh, I need to eat and that I need to be, continue to be gain, gainfully employed is usually enough for me. And having deadlines, clear deadlines, definitely helps for me. When I'm doing my own stuff, it, it can be a little challenging because I have no deadline for writing my own stuff. And I'll just you know, sit down and I'll, I'll write. And if I'm not writing, that's fine too. Sometimes it comes fast, sometimes it comes slow. Mm. Um, so that's, that's one of the privileges of being able to do your own stuff is that yeah. no one's breathing down your neck. But I think definitely when it's, when it's work for hire, when you're working with other people, especially if you're working on, like I've never been blocked when I'm working on site because there's all these people around me kind of depending on, on me to, to do stuff. So there's never, and obviously there's someone to talk to as well. Like, yeah. I don't know what to do here. Ah, someone will be like, do it, all right. I'm on board. So. I mean, commonly in games, uh, for example, with Assassin's Creed, how many other writers do you have to work with? Well, um, is it quite a big team? Well, Assassin's Creed was a little different because the I didn't work on the main game. Okay. Um, the main game was was written out of Montreal, and so in theory, I worked with a ton of them, but I I never met any of them. Okay. So, uh, and I, we didn't work on the same on the same game, arguably. Uh, so for the DLC, I was the lead writer. Originally, I was going to be the only writer. They were like, oh, we're going to bring in others. And I'm like, I can totally do this myself. Uh, but then the, the game got extended. And so one of the writers in Sofia, who had been working on the main game, she moved over on to the DLC. So it was basically just us two uh, who okay. worked on it. But it's a, you know, it was a five to nine hour game. So yeah. uh, the main game was much longer. So it, it varies, obviously, depending on the size and the budget. Yeah. Well, what uh, medium, because you've worked in comics, uh, games, and also uh, television, which one do you find the most challenging as a writer, or do you think they all have their own challenges? Well, certainly, yes, yeah. they certainly do have their own set of challenges. Obviously, with games, the, the challenge is making sure the player has agency or, they, or feels like they have agency. And in other media, you can take that away and no one's going to be sad. Uh, right now, uh, I've been most challenged by working in comics, partially because it's such a slow process for me, because you know, writing dialogue for games, you just, you know, out it goes. But with comics, it's, you have to choose every panel with care. You have to imagine like, what's going on in that scene. You have, there's not a lot of flexibility on the page. You can't have, oh, I need twice as much information on this scene, uh, on this page. No, you have to have a discrete amount and then you have to like always work to the page turn. So I've, I've been working on that a lot and it goes a lot slower than writing in, in every other medium that I've worked in. So that's most challenging for me right now. Okay, and do you, do you have like um, uh, stories that you've written that you haven't necessarily published just for your own kind of delight or that, that you like doing? Yeah, yeah. I definitely have, I've taken a, 
a short story writing workshop called Clarion West, and that was great. That was six weeks on site in Seattle, and I wrote a bunch of short stories there, and I haven't really done anything with them. And then also, for a while, I did NaNoWriMo. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's called okay. National Novel Writing Month, okay. and it's in November, and you're supposed to write a 50,000-word novel in a month. And I've done that maybe like nine times. <laughs> I've done it a lot. Um, and that is that I that I've even done while I was working full time in games because it was a nice sort of gear shift of just being like all I have to do is write. I don't have to ask anybody's permission. I don't have to worry about whether we can produce it. I just write. So that was a lot of fun. I haven't been doing much with that lately because. I never do anything with the novels. I just write them and say, oh, that was fun, and go on my merry little way. So. Yeah. When you're um, working with a team of writers, is it sometimes difficult to keep the consistency of the, of the story and the characters uh, clear? Well, I think yeah. the storyline is, is usually hashed out earlier, and there's a big document to read, or I have written mm -hmm. the big document. So usually the, the, the story is, is clear, and everybody knows what's going on there. And then in terms of keeping the characters consistent, uh, I personally, when I'm writing someone else's character, I'll just ask to see all the dialogue that already exists and just look for the patterns that exist in the dialogue and then mirror that. So I, when I worked on uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, I, I was handed a quest for this character that was created by one of the other writers and he just didn't have time because he was writing the main quest. He, so I was writing this, side quest and I said please send me all the dialogue you've already written for this character and so I read it all I saw all the patterns and so I started you know creating lines that seemed to fit that pattern and when he reviewed it he got a little smile because he was like I almost wrote something just like this and I was like yes nailed it <laughs> uh, but I, my background is in again is in TV and TV is writing to someone else's voice often mm -hmm. often mm -hmm. that's that's the job so it's very easy for me to be able to mimic someone's voice and often when I'm creating an original character I will go out in the world and find a real-life person mm -hmm. whose voice I can I can incorporate so that it feels more rich and real. Mm -hmm. So you've designed the script for console and also mobile games. What are the key kind of differences between designing story for mobile game and for bigger projects? Well, arguably there isn't that much difference in the okay. sense that, you know, with small mobile games, the idea is you can't have a lot of text on screen. You can't have, you can't write war and peace necessarily on there. And so you have to keep everything small, succinct. And I always use the old Twitter limits in terms of character count as, as a frame of reference. So I would actually do a character count. No one else cared, but I did. I was like, we're going to keep it down to Twitter length because that's what people are used to reading. And I also keep that in mind when I'm doing big, big games, big console games too, because it's not just because the screen is bigger. It doesn't mean like people suddenly want to read more. If anything, they want to read less because now they have the ability to really become immersed in the world, especially obviously games like Assassin's Creed where you can just wander around forever and just be mm. completely happy with the way the world looks. So that's, that's something, you know, if you, if you want to read, people will pick up a book. That's what I, you know, so it's always about making the, the story as, as seamless and ideally as invisible as possible. So you just have a really good immersive experience. Okay. Um, I thought we'd open it up to questions now. So if anyone has any questions to ask at all, Anne. Yeah. Uh, 
you having worked in soap operas, yes? Yes. What lessons are there from soap operas and that need to continually create new storylines and to keep it going? And you apply to writing for games? Well, one of, one of the stories I always say is you always need more story than you think you do. So I was working uh, early on in the, like the Facebook game craze. They, they, had, they started adding storylines, but they would have the beats of the story just become further and further and further apart. And I was like, people are not gonna wanna fight 30 battles just to get one story kernel. So there's always that feeling that like you actually burn through content a lot faster than you would think. And especially with open, you know, open world games or games, you know, subscription-based games, people just want to burn through that content as fast as possible. So you always need more story than you think you do, no matter how long or short the game is. The other one is about balance. Uh, if you have multiple storylines, always have somebody be happy. Um, if if some if everybody's like aggressively depressed, people are gonna gonna be like, oh, you know, this is fun. What else is going on? You know, so it's always about a balance. It's always make it um, make some aspect of it a joyful experience, even if you are doing something that might be otherwise depressing, or it's a really short game, which which case it's fine. You can be depressing the whole time. <laughs> okay. So, any more questions? Yeah. So, as a studio looking for a, a freelance writer, uh, what sort of qualities uh, should I be looking at uh, when when trying to find or hire one? And what sort of quality should I sort of uh, be warned about? <laughs> what, what should you be warned about? Um, well, you should look for people who like uh, purple shirts and have <laughs> a really great black jacket. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly people who are who are open to experimenting and and being open to exploring different ways to tell a story if you're doing something new, obviously, and what should you be aware, afraid of? I don't know. I guess uh, people who don't take notes or are not willing to take feedback on, on stuff. But um, it's hard. This is, this is the one critique I have right now of the hiring process for games. A lot of time they, they ask you to like write a, a, a sample and then they read it and they're like, oh, I either like it or I don't. And I'm like, Usually what happens is you say, well, I like this, but I'm not this. Can you fix it? And then that's actually the real test, in my opinion, is that process of iterating. Because you're never going to just take something completely and, and put it out there without revising it to some extent, either for, for, for character reasons, story, or production reasons. You're always going to revise something. And that's the real test of a writer. There, there's a a saying among writing is like, writing is rewriting. It's not the actual first draft. It's the rewriting process. That's where the real stuff comes out. And in terms of finding them, certainly uh, I get a lot of people reaching out to me on LinkedIn. And obviously, Twitter is a good place to reach out to people. It's, it's very easy to find game writers. We're all over the place. <laughs> um, and we're happy to work with you. So come talk to us. Uh, <laughs> you have previously worked with the Witcher series, at least the first one. Do you have any funny stories about working with the city for Red or something like that? Oh, well, them I worked with entirely remotely. Yeah. So the first time I met anybody is when we were nominated for a Writers Guild Award, and they had the awards in New York. 
um, that year because it was during this, the Writers Guild strike. So they flew out from Poland and we, I flew out from LA and my writing partner at the time, she was based in New York so it wasn't that much out of her way. So we're sitting there in this small space with a bunch of other Writers Guild nominated writers. We're walking around, we, we cannot find them anywhere. We have no idea, we've never met them. We don't know what they look, look like. And you would think, you know, a bunch of Hollywood people and a couple game writers, they would be easy to pick <laughs> out. But we couldn't find them. But so the next day, we met them for breakfast. And apparently, they'd been like in the balcony or something the whole time. And it's like, we didn't even know there was a balcony. Like, what? I'm going through this tiny task of adapting Pride and Prejudice for a mobile game. And the language in the, in the book is obviously a little dated. And how would, how would you go about adapting? language to a modern audience would you like keep some some of the some of the stuff that really makes it very period accurate or just go go to go towards more modern expression altogether uh, having ad adapted that very property twice, <laughs> uh, having worked on Lizzie Bennett and then we also did a Facebook game um, which was all uh, which was all of her her books run amok. Uh, definitely, I mean, I think a lot of her stuff has a modern spirit to it, if not necessarily literally the words. So for Lizzie Bennett, obviously the, the first line of the book they used wholesale in the, in the pilot episode, but most of the time it was definitely just the spirit of the line rather than like the literal line. And some of her, I, when I was working on the Facebook game, we actually had, a, had, had the author as a character. So I, was, I read a lot of her original writing as well, that she, like letters she wrote, and she was pretty funny. So <laughs> um, I didn't mind, like when she's like, oh, I guess I'll have to stop wearing flowers in my hair now that I'm old, you know, and she was like 40. It was, I mean, it was old then, because I think she passed away when she was 42, but um, uh, she, was, she was pretty funny. Oh, the other one that she said that was really funny, she's like, I can assume you were too, uh, you were stunned into silence uh, over this story because the person hadn't written back. When they wrote back, they didn't mention it. She's like, I know you're just overwhelmed with excitement because you didn't mention it, so I'll continue telling, telling you the story. So she had a lot of uh, fun and verve. As long as you capture the spirit, I think, I think you're in good stead. How do you prefer to work with games teams? I said, like, how can they help facilitate getting the best out of you? Well, certainly having clear being clear about what is wanted. Um, again, it's sort of like, oh, just send us whatever and we'll tell, you know, yes or no. And it's like, well, give me, give me an idea of what you're looking for. Um, I think that's, that's definitely helpful. Clear, clear deadlines, clear de deliverables, and also getting feedback promptly. And promptly doesn't mean like the next day, but not also a month later or, or oh, here you go. Can we have this by tomorrow? And it's like, okay, well, I need to know when this is coming. So that's usually helpful. And I prefer to, uh, I do prefer working remotely or freelance. And part of, the part of that is when I'm brought in full time, um, everyone else there is full time and nobody's in any hurry. Um, and so there's a lot of just kind of sitting and waiting around and I feel like I'm their security blanket, that I'm just there so they, they can be like, look, I've got a writer and I'm not actually doing a lot of stuff. And I'm like, I could be home. <laughs> I could be doing anything else. And it's, 
And you, so I've worked a lot on site. So when I was in Bulgaria, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm 7,000 miles away from home right now. Um, keep that in mind. <laughs> like when, when you're thinking about like how to, uh, you know, how to use my time, it's like I am 7,000 miles from home. You are at home. You know, like it's fine for you, but I am 7,000 miles, so, so be conscious of my time. Um, when I was in Amsterdam, we were in production, so the whole time was great, you know, because everything was useful, everything was necessary, so that was, that was definitely good. But definitely, again, I'm always supposed to like support, bring in writers early, but maybe don't make them sit in the office and wait for you to figure out what you're doing. That's my opinion. So I was brought in on Horizon, and they, I did a lot of uh, side quest dialogue. So they already had in mind what the quests were designed to be, and I didn't feel they were, they were sort of locked already. So it wasn't really my place to be like, let's re redesign this whole quest. So uh, there was one quest line where I was like, oh, you know what would be amazing if we had this like little extra beat at the end? And I really started lobbying it as a sort of like Easter egg, like optional player thing, like you finish the quest here like, like it's supposed to be, and then if you want to play more, you can do this, and if not, you'll, you'll never be the wiser. So I was sort of lobbying for that, and then they actually added that beat into the main quest line. So I was very, in, not main quest line, but into the, into the original quest. And I felt really excited about that, because I was like, yay, they actually changed for me. And then they brought that character, they even added that character in at the, at the end, in the, in the main quest line. So I was very excited, because <laughs> originally it was supposed to be just a one and done quest. So I was very excited about that. In that case, when you're writing those uh, quests that have been set, like how, how much do you push back when you're seeing the quest that maybe isn't narratively fulfilling for the player? Like, it has its necessary beats for the game design, but it, it just isn't interesting. Well, I think, it, I think it's, it's easy because all, all the quest that's locked is the, is the action. And all the action is basically just the gameplay remixed. So you could have like, this is, you know, kill 10 rats, kill five rats, and, you know, talk to Bob. And you throw them on the floor, and they could occur in any order. And it's up to the story to give that context and meaning. And so you have a lot of liberty at that point to have it say anything you want. Uh, so the only, the only way that could be restricting is if they're really strict about about the story. If they're like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and usually they're not that strict about it. So it's, it's very freeing. And part of the reason I, I like writing in games is because like, you know, you're, this is definitely what we're going to do. OK, now you can do whatever you want. Um, so that's, that I like a lot. Yeah, so thanks very much, Anne, for coming in today and sharing your experiences as a writer. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. <laughs>